Welcome to School of Rock Bottom with Oliver Mason. I'm an actor, a voiceover artist and a recovery coach. And I know firsthand that Rock Bottom can be the greatest teacher and the springboard for a beautiful life. And as you know, I invite fellow creatives and all inspiring people that have hit rock bottom, survived and thrived. This is a podcast of hope and how to get out of the darkness and into the light. And that is why I have got the most perfect guest today, the marvellous Marlon Anderson. How are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you? I'm so chuffed that you're here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this. You are so, so welcome. (laughs) Um, Everyone knows Marlon, but just in case you don't, I've got a very, very quick bio. So Marlon Anderson, my notes are on my phone. Uh, Marlon Anderson rose to stardom following her appearance on Love Island UK in 2016, but now positions herself as a mental health advocate and body positivity campaigner who works hard to raise awareness for important issues. Her raw honesty and openness in discussing her personal mental health battles with her followers has proven to capture the hearts of a nation. Marlon survived the grief of both parents passing to cancer and the death of her baby daughter, which was five years ago Mm. today. Anxiety, depression, bulimia, domestic violence, narcissistic abuse, sexual assault, postpartum OCD, suicidal thoughts and overdose. And despite all of this, Marlon is an absolute beacon of hope and positivity whose message is deeply aligned to the soul of this podcast. And today, Marlon is sharing a deeply personal, unheard part of her journey, as always, to help others in the same situation. And I really applaud you for coming down today and and talking with my you know, my podcast listeners and viewers, I really, really appreciate it. I hope it just reaches the people that it needs to reach. Absolutely. I mean, I started this podcast with the ambition that if it helps one person, it's worth it. And I still always come back to that. And I always start this podcast in the same way, asking my guests to share a rock bottom moment. Obviously introducing you there, I've listed so much trauma that you've gone through Mm. and hardships. I mean, I really do salute you (laughs) for surviving all of that. Um, So to pick a rock bottom moment today, I would guess is very, very difficult. Yeah. I was going to say, there've probably been quite a few rock bottoms, but at the time I felt it really badly and then I came through it and then something else would happen. And I remember getting to a point where I'd be like, well, I don't know which one's worse. People mm. ask me, what's, what's, what's the worst part of your life, like trauma-wise? And I'm like, I don't actually know. But if I can stand back and have a look at everything that I've gone through, I would say my most recent rock bottom, but probably the hardest is when Zaya's dad left me when she was about two months old. Because then I was vulnerable. I was then raising a newborn baby on my own, um, no parents to help, um, and not many people around me. And had postnatal depression. And I think a lot of the trauma, which I thought I had healed from Mm. surfaced up whilst raising Zaya. um, And I was really left to think and feel, which I didn't want to do because I was just trying to concentrate on being a mum and being the best I could. Wow. And so how did that sort of rear its ugly head, if you like, sort of dealing with that? How how did you... How did you cope with that? So I was still in love with him at the time. Um, I couldn't understand why he had left. It, it was quite toxic with me and him and I hadn't healed a lot of my own wounds. But then again, I look back now and I can see that he was a toxic person too. And he mm. hadn't healed a lot of his wounds. And I don't think that's something he'd ever want to do. And I was wanting someone to change. And essentially, essentially you can't force people to change or to see what, you know, what their childhood was about or things that they've sorry, I'm stuttering again, things that they've gone through. So I wanted him back so bad because I wanted that family unit. I thought that's what it was meant to be. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. I've had Zaya now and I'm with him. It's going to be like a family happily ever after. It did not go like that at all. And so whilst trying to get him back through constant degrading myself, texting, calling all parts of the night, asking for help, lying about certain things to try and get in his, get to try and get his attention, um, to wanting to hang out with him all the time. My energy was all put into him, obviously Zaya and being a mum, but trying to get him back. And I completely lost myself. So whenever we'd co-parent and he'd get Zaya, it's not even normal to co-parent at such a young age. I remember thinking, how is my baby going away for the day? And she's like, needs her mum. Luckily I was bottle feeding at that time, but um, 
when she'd leave me, I'd feel this complete empty hole feeling. I can't even Mm. describe it to you where I wouldn't know what to do with myself. So say it was a weekend, I'd go out and get on the piss. Mm. And so my kind of teenage years would come up within me because I didn't want to think or feel. So I'd get like completely drunk, binge drink, um, and then feel absolutely crap the next day. And um, the cycle would repeat itself every time, say Zaya was away every week. Sometimes it'd be less, it'd be every two to three weeks and then every month. And I remember being sober for like two months, but I seemed to have this vicious cycle with alcohol that I couldn't seem to address. And when I look back now, I think I've always had this really unhealthy relationship with alcohol um, and binge drinking since I was like a teenager. Right. It's really brave of you to share that. I mean, I know you've (laughs) talked about sort of alcohol in the past. Um, I've just finished reading your brilliant book. Everyone go and read it. Um, Positivity is our superpower. Um, You mentioned and you referenced in there that, that you would binge before, but it didn't seem such an issue. It seems like since you've written it in 2022, that maybe it's become more so. Yeah. So you know how things are meant to surface up for you to really address them, right? I think that I've always tried to normalize alcohol because everyone does it. And it's such a normalized Mm. thing in society. And I could never understand why I couldn't just have one or two drinks. If I had one or two, I'd want to get completely wasted. Mm. And then I'd feel crap the next day or two. Now I'm older. And I'd have to restart my week again. And it felt like I was just living in a constant hangover um, and then getting myself back again and then restarting the process. And I wanted to know why I had this relationship with alcohol. Why, what was I running away from? What was I suppressing? I was filling this void. And when I wrote the book and I was talking about the binge drinking, obviously I was pregnant with Zaya at the time of writing. I hadn't drunk. So I think I was in quite a bit of denial with drinking because mm. I thought, oh, everyone does, bit, you know, everyone binge drinks, everyone goes out on the weekend, everyone does that. But it's not normal because the way I was using it was an escapism as as much as I could, escaping from the trauma that happened to me. Mm. So when I say in the book that I had kind of healed from certain things, I hadn't at all. I was still using distractions as a tool to cope and survive the trauma, which my body was still very much holding on to, even if my mind didn't want it to hold on to it. Mm. And it's understandable because you've had a lot of trauma to mm. deal with, as I sort of listed it, you know, at the beginning. I think it's really, really brave that you're talking about this because it's such a common problem. Mm. I mean, just to give you a stat, but 20, 27% um, of the UK of people that drink binge drink. So mm. it's, so it's really, really, really common. And binge drinking, I, I just researched this because I wasn't quite sure. The NHS calls it um, drinking lots over a short period of time. Well, duh. Um, but in the US, that's five drinks for men or more and four for women. Well, that's binge drinking. That's binge I drinking. I could have like 30 drinks in a binge drinking session right. or more. So it wouldn't just be a night. It could it could go on for a day or yeah. two or longer, right? Yeah. And I think to address it and to talk about it is really courageous because it has been so normalized. Um, there was a, a load of research done a couple of years ago for the National Institute of, I think it's alcoholism and alcohol use disorder in America. And they found that just 9% of people that identify as suffering from alcoholism are what's called chronic daily drinkers. And the, the vast majority of people with an alcohol use disorder, I'm not saying that's what mm. you have, uh, you've not used those words for yourself, are actually binge type drinkers. Wow. Um, but most people think that's normal drinking. Well, this is the thing. I knew it wasn't normal when I would try to go sober. Many times mm. I'd post on Instagram, oh, that's it, I'm giving up booze for like da 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 Why couldn't I do that? What was I running away from? Mm. And took a lot of inner work, a lot of being still, a lot, a lot of healing and addressing childhood wounds of abandonment. Um, that's how deep it went with me from when I was a baby to understand why I would want to drink and run away from my own head. And mm. it's it's one of the major distractions, tools of distraction that I've used um, and, and actually been in denial of. It's, it's been a massive shadow part of myself that um, I didn't want to face and yeah. sort yeah, because we know it's not the amount you drink. It's about, you know, the reaction mm. that you have to it. I mean, I'm sure everyone knows, you know, who follows Marlon, but you're a super positive, bubbly mm. person. But it seems like alcohol just takes you right into the darkness. And it seems to happen to a lot of people that sort of are naturally very sort of a bullion and 
spiritual and aligned to the universe yeah. that it can just completely drag you down. Oh what gosh. used to happen to me just absolutely yeah. drag me to the pits of depression. Yep. It would completely yeah. make me feel depressed, regret, guilt, shame, um, literally no dopamine in my brain. Mm. Um, and I'd, I'd be feeling suicidal sometimes really depressed and all the trauma would surface. And then I'd be like, I'll be okay tomorrow. And then I'll be okay. And then I'd repeat the cycle constantly. Mm. I mean, you said about the fear of abandonment. I mean, I knew a little bit anyway, but sort of digging a little bit more into your sort of life story. Yeah. It, it's, well, I was just going to say, it's understandable. I've got absolute empathy. Yeah. I mean, you you know, you lost your dad when I think you were like 11 months. Yeah. So when I talk about abandonment, I've always wanted to know why I've had this fear of losing people. And I mean, it's no, there's no obvious, mm. I'm sorry, there is an obvious reason. It's because a lot of people in my life have died, but if I take it back to being in the womb now, being in the womb of my mom, um, when I was, when she was pregnant with me, my dad was really ill. And so my mom was living in a constant state of fear. I would have felt that my, my tiny body would have felt that in my mom's stomach. Then when she gave birth to me, my dad was in the same hospital, but he was dying of cancer. And my mom was in another room giving birth to me through C-section. Um, and so there's already that fear that's living through my mom and knowing she's going to have to raise me on her own and her three other kids. And so when a lot of you know that when I went to Sweden in last August, cause I wanted answers about my childhood. I couldn't ask my mom cause she's not here. And I wanted to know what, what I was like, what was going on in my childhood. So I went to visit a lady called Mary Mirja. She's Swedish. Oh wow. Um, I could speak Swedish by the way. Oh, <laughs> I wish I could speak it back, but I can't, which is terrible. Um, and I went to visit her, I reached out to her on Facebook. She said, come, and I spoke to her and she raised, she helped my mum raise me when I was a baby because my mum was really not in a good place. And so she spoke to me about what I was like. She was so happy to see me and, you know, and she said I was an amazing child and whatnot. But she said, when I was in the cot and I'd be crying, crying for milk or my mum or whatever, my mum would say to her, just leave her, she'll be fine. Just let her cry off. My mum was too weak and depressed to pick me up. Now, unconsciously and subconsciously, that would have been rooted in my mind and I would have felt that. And I've carried that through, not to mention the times of my mum getting ill with cancer when I was a child in and out of the hospital, being left with my stepdad, um, having to fend for myself. And then as I get older, realizing, you know, daddy issues and all of that, picking these toxic men that would abuse me mentally and physically, um, losing my child, Concy, um, um, feeling loneliness has been a very big theme of my life, Ollie. Like a huge running theme, even now when uh, Zay goes to sleep. Understandably, I mean, you yeah, know, what a knock-on effect for you, you know. Yeah. And so this is this abandonment wound. Essentially, I think the whole time I was abandoning abandoning myself through this wound because I thought I wasn't worthy enough of living a beautiful life and and having love in my life. Mm. And so I was aban abandoning myself through alcohol, drugs. Um, binge eating, restricting food, all sorts of different things I mm. can think of being on my phone too much, shopping, any distractions, because I thought I wasn't worthy of having love and being loved. Um, so once I addressed that and got to the nitty gritty of it, I felt huge revelation and freedom. Mm. And I felt liber liberated within myself. My soul felt free. Mm. <laughs> I was really cringy, but. <laughs> no, it's, you know, it's so understandable. I mean, I couldn't believe reading your book actually even though I knew some of it, just how much you'd been through. Mm. And I think it was something you wrote as well, where, you know, talking about, um, uh, you know, your, your ex or, you know, uh, I think Conzie's dad, mm. um, saying that some of the narcissistic abuse that was happening at the time, you know, if your mum and dad had been around, it wouldn't have happened as well. And yeah. sort of not having, I really felt for you in that moment that it didn't feel like you had that well, obviously that support of your parents and it's yeah. sort of left you vulnerable to those toxic relationships oh, that you just referenced. Massively. I think we are shaped by our childhood completely. That's why in every power of mine, I will make sure Zaya has the best, I will do the best for her because I can, I know now and understand how massively your childhood impacts you as an adult mm. and everything else that follows, everything shapes us with sponges. Right. And, um, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> No, it was, <laughs> I don't know, actually, I'm just very, very interested talking to you. No, it's just, it was just fascinating because, you know, especially with your positivity that, that, that you have today, that, you know, despite all of these challenges, you know, you've yeah. always, I always get a sense that you're always trying to figure out the answers yes. and, it, and it's always about, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but again, sort of going inside 
and validating yourself. Yeah. I think you said in your book that, that it's an illusion. Abandonment is an illusion. Ah. Yeah. So what I see it as, I've been through loads of different phases. So I'd go through, at the beginning, it'd be a victim mentality where I'd be constantly needing reassurance and validation from other people. Or, mm. For instance, I'd talk a lot about my grief, which is normal. Um, I would speak up on the domestic abuse to help others. But in a sense, I think I was still wanting reassurance and validation from people. Um, so the victim mentality did not serve me at all. And then I moved on to trying to find spirituality. Um, I hate the term being woke, but <laughs> when my mum had died and I saw her body, um, at the funeral parlor, I remember just, <laughs> sorry, mum, like I was hit, hit in her face. Cause I was going, huh? <laughs> and I was oh, slapping wow. her face going, what? This wow. is well weird. I started laughing. It was so weird. I was <laughs> wow. And my brother was like, what are, you, what are you doing? And I was like, it's so weird. She's not there anymore. And I could feel some energy around me. And I was like, that's not her. It's just her body. Oh my God. It's her body driving her soul. Mm -hmm. Her soul has left. And then I saw things differently, but then I got pulled back in. I met that toxic X and he was meant to be in my life for a reason. You know, he served a huge purpose in my healing and into discovering who I am. Um, he pulled me back in into the into this this what do we call this existence? This three D, two D, four D? No, this physical life. This physical um, life is very yeah. mundane physical life, and I lost parts of myself. This the spirituality. I gained wisdom. I loved crystals. I'd read a few books here and there, but I wasn't preaching what I was. No, sorry. I wasn't practicing what I was truly preaching. Even when writing that book, I would talk about journaling and I would talk about meditation and I would talk about all these things. I had knowledge on it, but I wasn't getting any deeper than that. Right. So I can sit here now and say, I'll meditate for an hour each day. I will journal as much as my heart desires. I will be still, be present. And I've unlocked parts of myself I never knew existed and parts of my brain and my body and everything feels way more aligned and true. I feel truth coming out of me. Like I am my purpose now. And it's, it's a weird feeling, but we're all in stages of mm. different parts of our healing journey. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. And that purpose thing, I'm definitely going to come on to in a minute. It was interesting. You were, you were referencing some really tough things there, like, you know, the abusive relationship, you, even, mm. you know, even death of parents and, and, and your daughter as well. And you used the word lesson. Yeah. Lessons were coming. And mm. I think really that speaks to the heart of, of you and mm. who you are. And why I've got so much respect for you as well, because when you are confronted with these, you know, the worst things that you can go through in life, you turn around after a period of reflection and deep soul searching, obviously not immediately to go, there's a lesson here and the universe has got my back. Where does that come from? What an amazing mindset to have. Most people would go completely in the opposite direction. Yeah. The, the lesson is from having some weird strength that has always been in me to carry on and hope, faith, and strength. I've actually got a tattooed hope, faith, and love on me somewhere. Have you got a Phoenix somewhere as well? Yeah. Phoenix on my leg. Um, there you go. Rising from the ashes. Cause I've always come out. There you I don't go. know how in the depths of darkness today, five years ago, I remember baby Conti, uh, being resuscitated for like an hour. She was a month old. I'd lived in great Ormond street for like, a month. And I remember they said no more. She stopped breathing. And I remember just screaming and thinking my life was over. I collected so much codeine. I knew I was going to take my life if she didn't survive. And so when I take myself back to that moment, and it feels very strong so I can feel the energy, I don't link it with feeling sad anymore. I link it with strength and power because something got me through that. And it was a power greater than myself. Mm. It was something spiritual. Was it inside me? Was it outside of me? I don't know, because I think the universe is God. God is love. Love is God. Everything is, is one. I believe in like unity and whatever that was came from my mum, and whatever she had that gave her strength to survive when my dad died was her mum. I, I see it as a lot of generational things and right. what these women have handed down to me, which I can hopefully pass on to Zaya is fucking strength. Sorry for swearing, like pure strength that is unconscious to you at the time. Cause I was mm. unconscious and I wasn't aware of the power that I had. Mm. And it's only now I can see that I have that power inside of me. It's wow. just whether I can use it. Do I choose to use it? Yeah. Cause I thought, you know, I think I've heard you um, on social media say something along the lines of that the universe is inside of you. And, yeah. and, and, and I know that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> Sounds like a very grand concept. I mean, I, I agree with that. I mean, you know, I think if you, this is a bit of an over simple simplification, but 
if you ask the child, I don't know, in a Catholic school or something, you know, where is God? They usually sort of point to yeah. the sky. Whereas yeah. if you go to India, they'll say God's there. Yeah, Christ so, consciousness. Yeah, they'll go in the heart there. So I think it's it's about cultivating that that strength with you and, and realising that you are connected to something greater. Yeah, massively. And even that moment with your mum, you know, that you describe, you, it seems like you've got a faith that her spirit, soul yeah. has, is, is somewhere oh, else. Oh, 100%. I'm always yeah. feeling and seeing, like birds are a huge part of me. Um, I love eagles, birds of prey, doves. I'm always seeing them fluttering about. <laughs> Um, yeah. synchronicity not just do you know what 11 11 and all of that has been made to such a commercial kind of way now where it's like oh my god 11 11 it's a sign if you look deeper i've had that this whole time it's obviously been a little guide on my way but whenever i used to see something like that i'd be like oh everything's going to be fantastic but it hasn't been yeah. <laughs> there's always been ups and downs and it's until i really stopped and listened to myself and was really still for a few weeks that something woke up in my body and mm. I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. Yeah. And, but we, we don't want to be still, we want to be distracted. Yes. And that's all I've seemed to be doing. Distraction the past years of my life. You know, it's, um, I want to come back to that, but I have huge kind of synchronicity with that. My, my wife lost her dad when he was very young as well. And we live in North London, a very kind of green part of North, North London. And there's a little Robin that comes and mm. sees Mel all the time. And sometimes I'll come home and she's like crying, but it's happy tears. Yeah. She's like, oh, the Robin's here. And she believes it's a message from yeah, her yeah, dad. Massively. And, the, and when she goes through hardships, the Robin seems to appear. It is weird. Yeah. It definitely is stalking her, this Robin. You know, <laughs> there's, there's absolutely no doubt. Talking about distractions, I can totally relate to that. You know, before, back in the day, definitely with alcohol, I can do it now with social media. I can do it with work. Yeah. What does it feel like for you when the distraction's gone? What are you left with? You are left with a void, an empty void, which has unconsciously been growing the further we try and distract ourselves. Like we move further and further apart from our truth as we are running away from our problems. So sorry to interrupt. Is that the hole in the soul? Is that, you know, when people say, yeah, is, is that, yeah, it's the hole in the soul. And we're trying to fill right. it with the phone, with, with the, with the shopping. Imagine this hole in your body and you're filling it with the, sh yeah, a shopping clothes. New Jordans, um, phone <laughs> use, doom scrolling, alcohol, drugs, food, restricting food, controlling things, anything, even seeing friends all the time, not wanting to be still. And then it gets to a point where you can't live like that anymore. Mm. Oh my God, I was going to say something, but I've forgotten. It was really good. We'll definitely, definitely come back to that. <laughs> it will definitely come to you. Um, Hole in the soul, you know, filling it with other things. Um, and what, what you're left with. When you're left, you know, left without that distraction. You are left with pain. <laughs> yeah. It feels painful, the, doesn't it? The pain that you don't want to address until you have to address it. And I remember I was away for three weeks and I sat there in my bed and I thought, okay, go on then, little child Marlin, give me something. What What's wrong? What What's this whole control with food that, you, that has never left you? I've lost six stone in the past two years. I've done it a really healthy way, but it has, I'm not going to lie, brought up parts of eating disorders that I had in my teens. Why have I always been so obsessed with, to a certain extent, it's been a lot less now, but with food, restriction, exercise, over-exercising, not over-exercising, why can't I have an intuitive balance with food? And I thought, right, where are you at, little Marlin? Let's meditate. And a vision of me as a child in class came up. It was strong and I used to hold my stomach in. I used to sit there and pull it in. Right. I don't want people to see it. That came through and I felt a powerful surge through my head, like a, that sounds so weird. Like, a, like some sort of vibration on my head. And it just connected me to a moment where my mum would be like, she was chatting to my stepdad downstairs and I was on the stairs and she goes, oh, she's getting a bit, a bit more chubby now. She shouldn't be having that hot chocolate. And that, I think, really connected me to that part mm. of not feeling worthy enough. Um, and then if you obviously you dig deeper, it's the abandonment wound um, for me. So that seemed to unlock that. And I had a therapy session that day with a guy called Jay's Brilliant. And he goes to me, when you step on those scales, what you're doing it for is for validation, reassurance, love. But if it's telling you that you're a pound or two heavier, even though you're probably not in real life, because that's impossible, you're automatically getting your fucking unlovable, your, your shit. No one's going to love you. You're fat. You're unworthy. So you're triggering yourself of mm. these wounds every time you step on them. He goes, fucking bin them, get rid of them straight away. Right. And he goes, replace them with affirmations. So I bought a little inner child book. 
leaving where the scales used to be and I'll read these affirmations and I feel so free. Mm. Even if I can go like a month without weighing myself, I don't think about it, I don't care about it, but we're, there's no control, there's no distraction there anymore. Mm. But it's so, so much, there's so many layers to healing. Yeah, 100%. It's like never ending. And all those little threads that you've talked about, you know, fear of abandonment, that's a thread. Yeah. You know, seeking validation, that's a thread. Mm. And it's all linked. And it sounds like you've, you've put in so much work and you continue to try and understand those threads. Yeah. Are you starting to enjoy the journey of that more? Because obviously at the beginning, it's so painful and you're yeah. dragging everything up. But is it now lots of like light bulb moments? Yeah. So I remember what I was going to say now. So for me, I was never aware of certain things. Mm. And I've done a lot of um, shadow work. And for me, the shadow work was hard to confront parts of myself that I didn't like, but were parts of my personality, mm. not my soul. There were parts of learnt, learnt behaviour, belief systems that I've curated due to surroundings around me, whether it's my job as cabin crew, being on Take Me Out, being on Love Island, being in a bikini, modelling when I was a teenager. I remember cabin crew weighing myself before a flight because my t if they, if your skirt's too tight, by the way, they make you they put you on a diet in Emirates and oh, they, wow. they okay. make you get a skirt size bigger. So all of these conditions have brought me to where I am and these belief systems have shaped me. But now I'm aware. Awareness is key, right? It's a first mm. step. So when I see myself wanting to vape or something or wanting to scroll on my phone for hours, I'm so aware of it mm. that I'll stop. I'll nip it in the bud. Whereas before I wasn't aware because I was in denial and I didn't want to, didn't want to see those hard parts. Yeah, absolutely. I think you used the word doom scrolling earlier on and it's such an interesting thing. I think sometimes for me, you know, it is about sort of, like you say, distracting, but it can also be about some kind of inner critical voice sort of telling me I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy yeah. or other people are better than me. Oh, yeah. And it can be that voice kind of looking for evidence that this is true. So I have to be careful with that yeah, with, with, with social definitely. media. Am I, am I actually going looking for evidence yeah. that what my head's telling me is correct? Our brains aren't designed to look at everyone else's life like no. that. It's so weird. No. But then what parts, what's the, what's the percentage of these people's lives are actually real or fake? Because mm. I know I used to be one of those like those people that would po post all the good bits. And everyone knows now that it's a lot of it's bullshit. Um, you can see right through some people's like postings on Instagram, but some people can't. Yeah. And so that's why I try and stay so authentic on my socials and I yeah. only post when I want to feel like posting and what I talk about and what I do, even to the parts of the filters. I even used to use filters a lot and now I won't use them, mm. you know, and I think it's the younger generation that we need to be looking out for. 100%. And I think that authenticity absolutely comes through. Just sort of going back to your journey from Love Island to now and just sort of threading in that idea of putting a mask on, you know, I think it's something that you've referenced before that, that you've been very good at before. Um, it's certainly something that I can do very, very quickly. Obviously I'm trying on this podcast to take the mask off mm. as much as possible. Um, what's that journey been like for you? I guess I'm specifically talking about social media on one hand, you talk about being authentic, but also for yourself, how does that feel now taking the mask off? Because because oh. me and you can switch it on, right? Yeah, yeah very easily. To. And you know what? I feel so liberated even from how I dress now and how I look in the mirror and feel like, why do I feel like I have to put a full face of makeup on, Dyson Air wrap my hair, go and get the lip filler, wear the tight clothes, you know, who am I doing it for, me or them? And then posting yourself, who am I doing it for, me or them? It feels very liberating to be free within yourself. Like mm. shackles have been taken off almost. Mm. Um, the mask can come in many different forms. Um, how you portray yourself, money, all sorts of things. And when you stay really true to yourself, it just gives you freedom. I mm. keep using the word liberation. I've got it tattooed on me, I think. And mm. you literally liberate yourself. You free yourself from concern, as Jim Carrey says. Yeah. And that's the that's the goal, mm. to not care. Because people can say they don't care about what other people think, but you do. I think yeah. some people, you know. Yeah. And There's an amazing expression in recovery called, um, the mantra kind of goes, what other people think of me is none of my business. And it's always kind of been a bit of a kind of ambitious place that I want to mm. get to. And I'm, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. There was something you said in, in your book. Again, you might feel differently now, but you, you sort of alluded to the fact that that's almost gone now. Once you experienced the grief of losing your daughter, I think you wrote something like, what other people think of me now just doesn't matter once you've experienced something like that. Do you still stand by that? Yeah, I, grief shapes you in very many different ways. Oh my gosh, it gives you a perspective on life completely. Loss of a loved one does. I've got to the point now where 
I will, I can grieve and I can become sad, but I feel that I understand what my journey has been about now. So I don't dictate my life and what's happened to me. I'm mm. not, I'm not a, I'm not a slave to my past anymore. And I used to live quite a lot in my past and, and I used to be, be my trauma. I used to think that I was the trauma. Yeah. Um, and yeah. How, what does that look like going forward? I mean, you talk about a pattern of, I think you used the words earlier, picking the wrong men or something around, yeah. around that. And I can relate to that. Oh, go, sorry. go. No, I love <laughs> a no. Hey, I love oh. a no. This is going to be good. So you're talking about the mask, even the mask yeah. for me. I want to date a six foot two mm. mixed race basketball player right. that looks really hot. All right. of the men that I've tried to be with or have been with or dated have given that look, that vibe. You need to move to the States, don't you? But the soul <laughs> has not been that, right? right? The soul hasn't been that at all. It's been, you know, that's narcissistic, um, up themselves, um, abusive or obsessive or stalkerish. All of the men that I've dated, pretty much all of them, sorry if you're listening to this, mm. have been like not aligned with who I really am, mm. who's at my core. So the mm. masked Marlin wanted that because that's what she thought she wanted. But she said that she really wants love, real love, deep, meaningful connections. Well, that's not going to get you it. Mm. So I've started now to attract people that have so much soul and love. Mm. Mm. And I've actually been chatting to someone that has such a beautiful soul. His eyes literally sparkle and light up and he is not my usual type at all. <laughs> and I'm Watch laughing space, about it. Guys. Watch this and space. I'm laughing about it because... It's like, but if you're being true to yourself and you you go by your feeling and your gut mm. and what's in here, you'll know that. So masked Marlin is going by what other people think she should be or she should have. It's like clothes mm. trends. I like yeah. dressing and, you know, but it's only recently I've started to dress for how I feel like on the day. Right. And not the trend of what other people think I should be wearing. If you think about it, we're conditioned to wear what people are telling us to wear. Yeah, yeah, what's absolutely. in the shops, what's new in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but when but I started wearing my bar, I got my barley pants out the other day, Ollie. Go These on, big baggy bloody barley pants. I don't know what barley pants are. No, sorry. the big baggy. So not the mum jeans; they're different. Right? No, no, with a pattern Aztec pattern. Oh, the Aztec pattern. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The proper yeah, yeah. tie, like, whoa, man, I'm oh, a hippie. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Uh Hails in a top knot. <laughs> Started wearing like all these beads and I was like, oh my God, what's happening? Well, Should have worn it today. And then I then started chucking shampoo away that contains certain chemicals. And I thought, oh my God, Marlon, what's going on? I looked at my deodorant and I was like, that contains zinc. That needs to go in the bin. Go in the bin now. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, just bring it back a little bit. But that that these changes are occurring in myself and I don't know why, but I'm just going with it. That's good. You've got to go with it. So essentially, I don't want to oversimplify this now. You're not so driven by looks when looking for it's a gotta be attracted to someone. My ego is like, you still got to be attracted to them. Man. Otherwise you can't get in bed with them. Um, but of course that is true. The soul mm. and their personality, if there's a click there, that should enlighten something there anyway. Because if I, I remember, <laughs> I hold on, sorry, sorry. let me interrupt you. But like before you, are you saying, I don't want to oversimplify it, that someone walked in and they were really attractive. Yeah. That, that that's really the main gig done. And then, yeah, if, they, and then yeah. if they're kind of I would have all right and they can behavior. speak and you can understand that. Was it, yeah. was it that simplified? It was quite surface level. Obviously, obviously I wanted right. intellect and I started to understand yeah. that the more years that went on. But there was still something missing from these men. Mm. And that was the emotional availability. Right. And oh, I posted something on Instagram the other day. You can't compete with someone's childhood. So what I was doing, mm. basically, I was dating these men that had all these wounds and unhealed Mm. traumas right and um, where i'd be cheated on and i'd be like what well, i'm not competing against these women they're cheating on me with i'm competing against their childhood let oh, that wow. sink in it's mad yeah. isn't it and are you trying to rescue them a bit as well yeah and save them a bit the, yeah the, the codependency and i'd end up yeah. getting codependent and all of that jazz and so yeah i think attraction to me now is what does my body feel around this person mm. you know there's got to be something there. What's, yeah. what's the vibe, Marlon? And, I, and I'm really checking in with my body now. That's, that's huge for me. That's amazing to hear. I mean, I guess, um, you know, some without sort of naming any names, but that, you know, I've been affected by some of this, not necessarily personally, but close family members before. And, um, you know, I think hearing these things is, is good. And it's going to help a lot of people. I know, I know a lot of men as well, but I don't want to kind of say it's a woman thing, but a lot of women seem to like the kind of bad boy thing, you know, and that can cause a lot of pain as well. Right. 
Yeah, massively. I don't yeah. know if I should mention this on here, but I'm going to. Anthony Joshua voice noted me in the summer. Right. A whole long voice note. Oh, you, you seem like aligned with me. Da, 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 da. Chatting for a bit. And then I randomly got blocked. I was like, this is so weird. And he unsent all the messages. I'd kept them though. Or well, my yeah. mate, obviously I screenshot. I was like, yeah, all right, listen to this. Yeah, come on. This is this voice note. We'll put them in the show notes. And I no. thought, these are the type of men that I used to attract. Right. Obviously it's AJ, he's, he's a beaut anyway, but not his, not for me, not, not what's going on in there. There's something not there. Like, but that's, these are the types of men that I would kind mm. of go with. Uh, the the bad boy images you said, yeah, yeah, yeah. because that's all exterior and surface. But the more I'm unlocking my internal, the more I'm vibing with the other person's internal now, yeah. not exterior. I mean, I would go as far to say it's, it goes beyond you unlocking it. I think that really is the core of who you are. That comes across as so, so, so these kind of attachments mm. that you talk about, they seem so disconnected to who I think you are. Yeah. You know, massively. And, it, and it's like, because, you know, you're such a deep spiritual person, but you can very easily, I think, go for that mask side of you and yeah. just grab for stuff. I, I, you know, that's I, what I, I, hate. I can relate to that. And I that's why that. I now know I have to try really hard to stay connected with my truth. And how do I do that, Ollie? I have to be conscious about exercising um, to get my energy moving, but, you know, moderation, getting out in nature, going on walks. I love walks, fresh air taking the dog, being around animals. So my dog, little fatty British bulldog, love him. Um, slobbers everywhere. Um, <laughs> meditating, not mm -hmm. just two minutes, Marlin. Don't let your ADHD get the better of you when you want to give up after a minute. You're like, I finished <laughs> an hour, do an hour, do, yeah. do 45 minutes, yeah. half an hour. Yeah. yeah. Um, read, be really still breath work, huge importance, breath work, really connecting with your breath. Cause it brings you to a present state. And then just being, let's get to flow state how often are we in a state of flow where things are just happening and we're allowing yeah. and surrendering, let's surrender yeah. to things around us and not control. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that for me is the best. When I can live like that, I'm living peacefully and beautifully. When I get sucked in to the matrix, I'm joking. When I get sucked <laughs> into to the physical and yeah. to the wanting to be in control and no, that's, that's when the danger happens. And then, you know, I'll probably want to drink to get out of my head and, I'll hang out with the, the wrong people and I'll just be doom scrolling and shopping and trying to be busy. And I yeah. don't want to live like that anymore. That's no way to live. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you know, if I'm living in a state of sort of reacting to everything, yeah, reacting. You know, it's, it's horrible, isn't it? Um, and I, and I have to be careful not to go there. I mean, someone much wiser than me once told me that, you know, Ollie, you don't really control much at all apart from your reaction and your attitude. And if you master those two things, you control the universe. And I remember hearing that at the time, wow. you know, what does that mean? But it's like, the less control I kind of give over to the universe, the more control I seem to have. I mean, even on a very simple level with this podcast, like I don't really have much control over how it all goes, really. Yeah. I've just got to kind of do it, have the intention that it helps one person and then just let it yeah. let it do its thing. It's like um, some of the recovery coach work I do, you know, I'm working with people um, that are going on a journey. If I sort of go into those places and think, right, I'm, I'm responsible for their recovery you know, I'm going to drive myself mad. You know, all I can do is go in there, do my best. And I mean, this with love, you know, walk away and kind of allow that flow thing to happen. Yeah. Otherwise I'm not going to sleep at night. And also ego's gone mad. Yeah, exactly. Cause that. I'm not God. Right. But do you ever wonder how much you should be controlling? Cause I'm like, Oh, maybe Am I doing too much, too little? Am I surrendering too much? Am I being lazy? My yeah. weird brain can sometimes get like... 100%. You know, am I doing enough? Am I, I know. <laughs> that's, that's really, really, really tough. I suppose for me, it's about the serenity prayer, actually. Yeah. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, yeah. and then the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah, which I massively. Don't, which I don't always have. Yeah. But, but I think you're right. It's... You're not going to find that wisdom to know the difference unless you're non-distracting and being yeah. still. And the balance comes of that true balance. Is is that what meditation gives you? Does yeah. it allow those thoughts to come in? It it's it brings me to a state of calmness, mm. surrender, and nothing. I can't I always say nothingness because there's just there's nothing. I get some insights pop up. Mm. I get sometimes a few little weird visions, but what it does for me is it rebalances the, you know, me as a person. Yeah. It, it reduces anxiety. It, it can, you know, it's brilliant. It's the best thing. You said something to me off air, which I didn't probe you about much. 
I think it's linked to Buddhism, but something to do with the nervous system and the spine. What was that about? Yeah. Because that really blew my mind. Yeah. So I, I, I always <laughs> talk about this Kundalini awakening. You know, people go through some in their lifetime, some don't. Some go through two. And, you know, the 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 normal way of saying it is a spiritual awakening, but this is a very deep awakening of the soul. And it can be activated through trauma, through, you know, years of yoga, meditation practices, or as a one-off when you need it, when you're ready for it. And when I meditate, I sit up straight for the spinal cord to flow through and, and connect, you know, it's the heart, the brain, all of that jazz. Um, I'm not a scientist, I'm not going to go into detail on that. <laughs> but what I know is it's all about your nervous system mm. and having a really calm nervous system. And what the awakening does, it kind of resets your nervous system. It's really mm. odd. Wow. You, you need to Google it, it's completely awakening. But what meditating does, it starts to rewire parts of your brain mm. that need rewiring your neural pathways. It, it starts to make sense of things that you push back. It brings things to the surface and it's just, it's just a, the, the best practice ever. It's unbelievable. And I think all the science around things like meditation and gratitude and things like that, yeah. you know, I think a few years ago it was kind of a little bit kind of poo-pooed by people slightly who weren't in the know. And it seems like every like business CEO podcast people are coming on who you know who are running huge businesses and, and oh, well I practice gratitude as yeah. well because people know that it works yeah because what happened you to know? me was a few months ago I got to burnout where I was drinking coffee 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 vaping um my nervous system I was go 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 plus ADHD I was on the go so much I was like and then burnout and then I was like I'm not actually living I'm living in my head I'm not mm. living outside of my head I'm not being in the moment my nervous system was way out of whack. And that's because it's held onto this trauma, this fight or flight for so long. I'd not addressed it. I was running from it. Mm. All this coffee and all sorts. And when I stopped and decided to listen, I could then start to, to you know, to really calm it. Yeah. And process this trauma that had been stuck in my body. Because that's another double whammy with the ADHD yeah. as well. My sister's just been... Uh, recently diagnosed with it she's taking some medication for it is that something oh, it's your private medical information does <laughs> you don't have to <laughs> disclose it <laughs> but i just wondered is medication played a part for you with adhd if anyone's listening to this who's maybe in the middle of getting a diagnosis or yeah I, i'm not for me personally i wouldn't want to go on any medication because i just think it would alter me or who i'm meant to be and i don't yeah. know some people need it it was, it's like antidepressants. I've always been on and, on and off antidepressants, maybe for the past few years, more so less the past two years. Um, because I know it, for me, it was a temporary fix. Mm. And the minute I came off them about, I was on them for only for two months. Um, and then I came, and then I came off of them. I started to feel emotion properly. Mm. And um, I started to address what was going on. Yeah. So understand all the distractions. And that was only, I feel that the antidepressants were kind of numbing parts of me mm. that I needed to feel. Gotcha. That was my personal experience of them. So I just decided to come off of them. It's really interesting. It's, it's like that me as well. I mean, I, you know, before when I was drinking like a decade ago, it was all about sort of running away and numbing things and yeah. escaping and the things that you talked about at the beginning with binge drinking. It sounds like you're the opposite now. It's like, I don't want to run away. I don't no, want to I don't want I want feel it. Yeah. I want to feel it because I know that, the pain serves a purpose and once you feel the pain, it kind of dissipates mm. and then you get to the bliss part of it where you start to see things very differently. It's like you're wearing HD lenses, mm. lens, a HD lens and yeah. everything around you is so much more beautiful, you know? Is that, I mean, that's quite a ninja move there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's quite, that is quite a black belt move there. That is hard. It's hard. You it's have to be courageous. Really but is it because of all of, all of that, trauma and stress and all of those things you've gone through yeah. that you're able to say that because to say to someone who's new to pain and being in a dark place, you know, allow your feelings to come up and then you'll learn something seems like, you know, like a Goliath move. Well, yeah, I've always got through it, haven't I? I've always got through what I thought was the darkest point in my life. So if I've always got through it, what could be worse than that? You know? So if you know that emotions ebb and flow and they come and they go and they're always going to have highs and lows, just try and find like a mid state and, and not dictate your happiness on anything external. Cause I remember trying to figure out what happiness actually means. Is it a state of mind? Is it something outside of ourselves? Happiness can be found within when we're just being. Mm. Um, 
yeah, and to be courageous and to understand that you can get through things. If you look about, if you look at how far you've come, you can get through it. Um, and then you'll be faced with another challenge. Life is always going to throw us different, different things, but I think it's in our favor mm. for us to learn through and grow through. Sounds really cheesy. So true though. It's true. You know, that's why rock bottom, I think is the greatest teacher. I yeah. mean, it's a, you know, it's a risky strategy to kind of go into life and go, well, I'm going to hit rock bottom so I can yeah. learn stuff. But, um, cause obviously rock bottom does kill people as well. Yeah. But if you, if you survive it and you come through, you really realize that, that this dark moment passes. I mean, you've had so many, but yet come out the other side. So, you know, you've, you've got that evidence, haven't you? Mm. Um, I also wanted to chat to you about something else here. Um, you were talking earlier about um, finding purpose. What does that look like to you currently? What, what, how do you, what do you feel your purpose is sort of now? Now my purpose is talking about my experiences, which I have done for a while, but from a place of love mm. and helping other people through my pain that I'd gone yeah. through. Um, spreading awareness and a message on a larger scale yeah, and doing it truly authentically. I think I found my purpose when my daughter passed away and even more after the domestic abuse, but cause I was still in it. I'll be talking about it. Can I just pause you there? Mm. Found my purpose after my daughter passed away. Yeah. That, that's an amazing statement yeah. to say. Not many people would have a mindset like that. Yeah. I remember grieving I lied in I was lying in bed for a week drinking I thought okay you either kill yourself or you just get up and you can do something about it so I used Instagram as a bit of a journal yeah and I was like talking about how I felt so it was all really raw but I was helping other people with how I felt little did I know that I was doing it way too soon and that all these questions and people and interviews and things that I was trying to do to help other people even though I was helping and that was my purpose I wasn't helping myself right so the past two years of healing and helping myself I now feel more ready to go on a deeper scale to talk about all these different things from a place of true authenticity and from a place of like a truly, well, we're not always healed, but a healed mm. version of me. Yeah. Yeah. If that yeah. makes sense. It's hugely courageous yeah. to do that. You know, I, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm quite a, a lot of years into my recovery and I've only felt brave enough to start sharing it recently with this podcast, it, but you're, you know, you seem to be, sort of feeling things and working things out sort of on the go and sharing it, which I think is far braver than what I'm doing. No, um, everyone's on their own journey though. No, so. but I think that that's amazing. I hugely, hugely applaud you for that. Um, I'm just aware of time and I've got so much more I want to speak to you about. So, so I'm going to quickly move on to something else. Um, you seem to be very, very good at taking rejection. Um, you talk a lot, um, I've heard it on social media and in your book again about its redirection. Oh yeah. Rejection is redirection. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was always a me, me, me. What's wrong with me? Oh my God. Wound, not worthy, unlovable. If some, like a job rejected me or a person or a situation, or I wasn't picked for something. And I think I'd really take it really bloody personal, mm. personally. Yeah. And then I discovered, I was like, oh my God, it's not me. It was a reroute on a sat nav to something even better or yeah, greater yeah, yeah, or yeah. that was destined for me. Mm. And when you, you have to zoom out, like you're zooming out of this map and you can see the whole map. You can see the bigger picture. You might not know where it's leading to, but you mm. know, there are other routes available. Yeah. Wow. That was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I just made that up. <laughs> no, that's true. That's so true though, isn't it? Do, do, no, 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 do you know what it is? It's actually pro noia. What you're talking about is something that I'm really into, oh. which is pro noia. So it's this idea basically that the universe is conspiring to help you. Yeah, all the time. But free will, what do you think about free will? How much free will do we have? And how much guidance do we have? That's where I get a bit confused. Well, this destiny thing. Yeah. Because I know that things have fallen into place and I'm going to be here. But mm. how much of a part did I have to play in it? Yeah. How much was it actually being played for me? Yeah. Oof. Yeah. I, th I understand where you're coming from. I think some people interpret that as, well, I can just sit back and the universe will just kind of yeah, like, that's, do stuff no, for yeah. me. You've still got to put your two pence worth in. Yeah. You've still got to keep showing up. I think for me, sort of being consistent and persistent with all the things I care about. Yeah, definitely. Is at some point things are going to start moving. Yeah. And I guess you might call that manifesting or yeah yeah or it's whatever. true but it's sort of like if i can do my little bit each day yeah towards my goal then i think i mentioned this on another podcast but i feel like particularly with my acting career that i'm sort of like doing a shawshank redemption then if you remember that in shawshank he's just like 
every day. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah, trying yeah, to get yeah, out yeah. of prison. And then one day it just goes. Yeah. But I'm just trying to enjoy the journey with it because. But then it's like you talking about your acting. Do you think that was mm. your purpose before? Or do you still really, is your authentic self wanting to act? Or is it coming from, is it coming from masked Dolly or unmasked Dolly? Because when it comes to me, do I want to go back on TV? Yes, I do. But if the show gives me a larger platform to be able to speak about the things I want to do, because I do want to do talking and audiences. So if I'm misaligned with it, but it's hard to explain, but with acting, it's a little bit different, I guess. I get where you're coming from. I think it's probably a similar sort of thing. I mean, I used to wrap my whole identity in uh, being an actor. So I was I was basically Ollie the actor first and then a human second, really. Okay, got you. And so my CV and my last acting job was all my self-esteem was wrapped into that. And I think all the things that I've gone through, you know, back in the day to now, it's just like something I do, something that's really, really fun. But actually this is much more in alignment, really, yeah. this conversation yeah, 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 got you. Th- than that. That isn't mean to say, you know, if you're a director or producer or someone listening to this, you want, want me to do this lead role in your Hollywood film. I am. About <laughs> it. But, um, that doesn't mean I still don't want to do it, but it, I'm not going to um, go down the depths of depression. Like I used to, yeah. if I don't get, cause you based you, your kind of whole identity around it. Yeah. Uh, it's like when it, when money, I think money for me always flows through where the purpose is. Yeah. So when I'm doing something out of care, love and purpose, the money will flow with that mm. no matter what. Yeah when it's in alignment with who I am, it's, it's an interesting one. Well, I think that's why, you know, I I get such a kind of spiritual kind of connection with you in so many ways. Cause I think we come from a similar place in the sense of Mm. we've both experienced, you know, a lot of pain before. Yeah. And, you know, and from that, it's made me anyway, sort of look at my purpose in a completely different way. And And for me, like helping other people, which obviously you're so passionate about, just takes that darkness away. It give yeah. it gives you a feeling of uh, when you help someone else. It just gives you an unexplainable feeling. Yeah, like pure like love. It's it's just brilliant. Yeah, serves serves your purpose definitely. Just um, you know, just aware that time is starting to run against us a little bit. Just want to go back to um something we talked about at the top. If that's all right. The, the binge drinking that mm-hmm. you were talking about as a way to distract. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's, so are you not drinking at the moment? Is that kind yeah, of where so you're at? Yeah, so sober because I now know that I can't just have one or two drinks. Right. And there have been times where I've been sober and I'd be like, right, I'll have one. And then, and then I'd be like, okay, the next day, that's fine. See, I had one and I can have two now. Yeah. And then I'd have two and then like, maybe it would be in a week's time or if on the weekend I'd, have one or two but there would be no control so it'd be like rolling a dice you don't know what's going to happen yeah and it just doesn't serve me or who i am anymore is as i said it's i want to be in my mind not run away from it Mm. i think that's what i was doing so yeah and obviously it's such a big movement at the moment yeah sort of not drinking there was a yougov poll done uh recently 40 percent of people aren't drinking who are under 35 i was like um really um, that was actually shared by another uh, Love Islander, is it Dr. Alex? I saw oh, he came yeah. up on my TikTok and he was sharing that because I think he's been doing dry January for a couple of years. Oh. <laughs> and um, there was another one, NHS, I think under 30, 30% don't drink. So, you know, and there's this whole sober curious movement. Mm. I mean, for anyone who's maybe on a similar journey to you and myself as well, like how do you navigate that like on weekends going out and how are you managing that? As being a social butterfly that I'm guessing you might be. I think being around things and places and people that align with me now. Because mm. when I when I use the terms white knuckling, it's when you're being sober, but you don't actually really want to be sober. You think you're missing out. But I've got yeah. to a place where I know I'm not missing out. Yeah. I'm actually in the moment. I'm yeah. the one that is creating the party because mm. <laughs> I'm here right now. Yeah. And the people that are drinking around me are wanting to run away from the party in their heads. Yeah. You know, so I don't feel that feeling or desire to drink or run away anymore. Yeah. And it took a lot of work, like a lot of self-discovery. So for anyone that's trying to go sober, you can experiment with it. But if you're one of these people that would be like, oh, I'm not going to drink tonight. And then, but you'll drink next weekend. You need to figure out why. What's the void? Mm. What is it that you're running away from? Yeah. Look look inside. (laughs) So you sort of avoiding parties and things like that at the moment? Or are you just sort Uh, of living... I don't Normally. think the party is where I want to kind of be around at the minute. 
Mm. I want to be doing, I'm like learning to ski. I'm doing really weird, oh, cool things. That's very cool. Activities, trampolining, you know, like just Where doing. Where are you skiing, by the way? I'm not, I'm just learning in MK. All oh, right, okay. Uh, I've oh, never yeah, skied oh, oh, Because they've got the. X Games. They've got the famous dry split, the artificial yeah, stuff, yeah. of course. So I want to be doing things that fill my soul up, not fill my void up. Yes, love Ooh. that. That's amazing. Oh, say, oh, that yeah. <laughs> say that again so we can clip it. Ready? Cut to. Dunk. I want to be doing things that fill my soul up, not fill my void up. Boom. There amazing. That's brilliant. That hey, is. I clipped that one. Oosh. But yeah, it's true. Which one are you feeling? Oi. <laughs> yeah. That's really, really good. You know, that, yeah. that's, that's, that's really incredible because I know when I sort of nearly got sober and people said, you know, now you can like do your hobbies and things like that. I was like, what hobbies? I don't really have any left because it kind of stripped me of all of that. Yeah. But it's just about reconnecting with um, all those other things. I mean, it's interesting, even in your book, you always, anyway, in the book, talked about distracting yourself with partying. Do you know what I mean? So that's not really a party, is it? No, because you're, you're running away. Yeah. That's not a party. No, that's so true. And you, you used it loads of times, the word distract yourself with partying. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm trying to think back to that Marlin, the mind of Marlin writing that book, obviously pregnant with Zaya, hadn't mm. drunk, but recognised that she was running away partying. So why did she continue to do it after Zaya was born? Mm. You know, it's because she was still running away and distracting, even though I knew it. But when it, when it comes to like addictive personalities, it's really hard to understand what the reasoning is until you address it completely, mm. really pick away. Otherwise you're, you're going to be on a constant downward spiral. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you speak out so bravely about so many different issues and, um, I'm sure lots of you follow Marlon already on social media, but go and head to um, Instagram, for example, on there, because you, you, you're always sharing so many good things on there to help people. There's so many different threads, you know, with the narcissistic abuse and the grief and the trauma and all the things you're talking about. Where does your kind of passion lie at the moment with mental health or is, are you um, just covering lots of different things? I think lots of different things. I think gaslighting manipulation is an interesting one. Uh, the codependency that can lead to self-sabotage a lot, especially with if you're stuck with a partner that is abusive and you don't know what's happening to you, um, boils down to self-worth again. Um, eating disorders, I think that's always been a big passion of mine as well because I know how much I suffered from it. And still even like a few months ago, I was weighing myself and not wondering why I was using that as a mm. as a tool to escape. Yeah. Um, but for me, I think it's really getting people to open up on how they can heal themselves through, you know, surrendering and exploring spirituality sometimes i don't like the word spirituality because it's so vague mm. and people think it's like oh my gosh just be spiritual it's about understanding what your body is telling you your mind and knowing that we have the tools and the power yeah we can do it you know yeah and you know i wish you all the best with all of that and Thank hopefully you. you know be seeing you on a ted talk and going around the world spreading positivity <laughs> love and joy this would be absolutely incredible um I'm really, really gutted um, because we are nearly, nearly out of time. I'm going to leave you with a question, which uh, I don't want to side you, sort of side blind you with. Blind side? Side blind? Blind side. That's what I was looking for. With Obviously, this is called School of Rock Bottom. So it's about, um, you know, in those dark moments that don't kill you, learning something from those most horrific moments. I know you could probably pick a million things, but... What do you think the one thing all of your trauma and darkness has, has taught you about yourself? Because I see in front of me just this incredible survivor. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I know you talk about it a lot, reframing, you know, I'm not a victim, I'm a survivor, having a different story. I really see that clearly in front of me. What would you say the kind of main thing that you learned in that absolute depths of darkness about yourself? That I come first. Mm. If I am not healed no nothing and nobody around me will be i'm going to give you an example i used to wear a necklace with x on it all the time zaya 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 everything was for zaya and i'm wearing one with the m on it because i need to put myself first even though she is my priority if i don't fix myself heal myself and understand what's going on in here for me she's going to feel that and understand that so to put myself first internally will save your, the, the things around me and help her as well. And I think so the biggest thing I learned is to, to be me, feel me, you know, and understand me 
That's that makes any sense. Hundred yeah. percent. I'm gonna let's boom that. <laughs> I don't know if the camera picked that up, but there's a massive boom there. Marlon, thank you so much for coming down and talking to me today. I honestly could have been here for about seven, <laughs> Same, eight, nine hours. You. I would say 24 hours, but I need to go to bed. Um, it was absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And I hope we can do it again. Yeah. It was absolutely fantastic. Guys, head for the show notes now. Uh, dive in there. There'll be lots of links in there. I'll have a chat with Marlon off air about what links to put in there, maybe other places for support, obviously a book and other things as well. Um, I... Probably should have said this at the beginning, but if you're on YouTube listening to or watching this, hit subscribe, write a comment, Spotify, hit follow, give us five stars. If you don't like it, just, just ignore it. Um, don't put one star, only put five. Uh, and also <laughs> Apple, the review, the algorithm, apparently that helps. But most importantly, if this has helped you, um, which is really what this is all about, please share it with someone else that you mm. think might get something uh, from this. I want to give a big shout out as well. Last minute, really helping us out to the Milton Keynes podcast studio cheers to you and Stuart here absolutely cracking job um and as i always promise and i haven't let you down yet i will see you guys in two weeks time until then look after yourself and thank you 